This morning, our Old Testament reading comes to us from the 30th chapter of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is near, uh, the end of Deuteronomy is near the end of Moses' life. Moses, of course, has led the Israelites through the wilderness for 40 years. And here, as his life is beginning to end, he gives a farewell address. And in this address, uh, we hear him tell the people of Israel that he reminds them of the promises God has made and lays before them this, uh, this reality that uh, you can choose life or you can choose death. Life is the way of the Lord. Death is disobeying the Lord. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away, and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and, and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life, that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the, that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our epistle reading comes to us from St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church, chapter 3. Uh, the past several Sundays, we've been reading through the, the book of 1 Corinthians. And uh, today, Paul readdresses this thing that he brought up at the beginning of these divisions that are occurring in these churches. The divisions of saying what pastor that they follow. And uh, St. Paul points out to them that it doesn't matter what pastor they heard from, that God is the one who is driving their faith and their salvation. St. Paul writes, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please rise as we hear from the gospel. 
The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the fifth chapter. We continue to hear from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. In this portion, he highlights the fact that for many who consider themselves righteous, they have sinned, even though perhaps maybe not with their hands, but with their thoughts and with their hearts. He brings up all of these sins to point out that there's nobody who is righteous, and we all need forgiveness. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. It is also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is, his, it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. This is the gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be to each and every one of you through our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. When I was applying to enter seminary, it was a postgraduate program, of course, after my uh, college degree. And as is the case a lot of times with postgraduate programs, there's entrance exams. They want to know that you have a basic understanding of things before you enter in and start classes. One of the tests was doctrine. You had to display a basic understanding of Lutheran teaching before you went on to seminary so that they at least knew where you were. I don't remember much about that test, but there was one question in particular that still stands out in my mind. Now keep in mind, this was 18 years ago. I don't remember precisely the wording, 
but I do remember the gist of it. The question asked something like this. What is necessary for salvation? It's a pretty straightforward question. That's a good, solid Lutheran question. I was baptized in the Lutheran church. I was catechized and confirmed in the Lutheran church. I uh, had been going to a Lutheran uh, college. I, I knew the answer to that. We needed to be saved by Jesus Christ, that he died for us, that he gave his life and rose again for us. But I couldn't just write that down because it was a multiple choice test. And one of the answers that was there said something like, in order to be saved, a person must completely and perfectly fulfill the law of God. No, I knew that couldn't be right. That's the most un-Lutheran answer I've ever heard in my life. Right? I mean, we've been taught from day one, we can't do the law to be saved. It isn't about us. It isn't about how we can accomplish things. So I automatically disqualified that answer. But there was no line that said Jesus Christ died for you. And so I picked one that sounded the closest. It said something to the effect of one requires a sacrifice outside of oneself in order to pay for their sins. And so I picked that one. When it came time to grade the test, I imagine you know where this is going. I got it wrong. Imagine my surprise. It must be a typo. Because the answer was that most un-Lutheran answer I'd ever heard in my life. That in order to be saved, one must fulfill the law perfectly. They must keep the law of God always. I mean, this is Lutheranism 101. We can't keep the law. How can this be? But as I started thinking about it, and thinking about the promises that God made in the Old Testament, God told the people, he told Abraham, he told Isaac, he told Jacob, he told Moses, and Moses told the people of God, you keep my, my, keep, you keep my rules and my laws, you'll be saved. You'll be fine. You'll live. You don't, you'll die. It's exactly what God says. In fact, we, we hear this in Deuteronomy. We heard this today. As Moses addresses the people, he says, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear but you are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore choose life that you and your offspring may live. Loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days, 
that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. You know, God through Moses lays out these two options. He says, life or death. Now, that's, is that really even a, a, a choice? If someone comes to you and says, all right, uh, do you want to live or do you want to die? That's not really a choice, is it? You're going to pick life every time. These are not two separate but equal palatable decisions. It's obvious. It's almost a rhetorical question. Do you want to live or do you want to die? Obviously, I'd rather live. Anyone in the right mind would choose life. And so Moses says, okay, if you want life, obey the Lord. Follow his rules. Do what he says. Live perfectly. And doesn't that line up exactly how that question I got wrong on my test asked and answered? If you want to live, follow God's rules. If you disobey him, you die. And this is where the reality of our fallen human condition really hits home like a hammer. Yes, we can be saved by works if we completely adhere and perfectly perform God's law. But the fact is we are not capable. We can't. We are sinners. We are imperfect and broken people. So perhaps Moses' choice given to the people of Israel is a trick question, kind of like the one on my test. Maybe there is no way to choose life. Maybe everything leads towards death. Because we want to choose life, don't we? We want to be alive. We don't want to die. But every time we speak gossip or lies, or every time we lust or rage, we're choosing death. We may not realize it or put it in that way, but that's exactly what we do. We're siding with the enemy. And life and the choice of life is out of our reach. This is painful. For us to realize that the promise God made is one of impossibility. But that, my brothers and sisters, is exactly why Christ came. Because what, what choice did Christ make? He chose life, didn't he? He obeyed the Lord. He followed his commandments. He did exactly as the law demanded. He, in fact, is the only one to fully accomplish it, to do it perfectly. But instead of enjoying the life that he deserved, instead of choosing life for himself, he actively chose death. Death on a cross in order to give you, to convey to you and to me the perfect life that we do not deserve. He 
chose life for us by choosing death for himself. Salvation is accomplished by works, but not the works of my hands, not the works of yours either. Because as we hear from Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, as he, as he lays this out in the Sermon on the Mount, I'm sure every single person in this room, your pastor included, heard at least several items that he listed, either sins of, of action or sins of thought or of, of, of word, that we ourselves are guilty of. And we see that in Jesus' sermon here and we feel guilty. And Jesus says, you've done this wrong. How do we make it right? How do we choose life? And that's exactly where we need to be. Acknowledging the wrong of our life. Seeing that it is not in the path of God. And admitting that we need a savior. We need someone who chooses life for us. And the way that Christ did that was by choosing death for himself. He wants us to live. And so he lives the life we cannot to die the death we deserve. And so while we do not ignore God's law now, we don't look at it and say, well, Jesus did it for me. I guess it's not for me. No. This is what God wants for his people because this is what it means to live as God's people. But we also do not live in the fear of knowing that we are headed towards death because of our sin, but we are headed towards life because of the death of Christ. And when Christ died, he didn't stay dead, but defeated the power of death and was raised from the tomb and he was given and, and he took life for himself, and he gives it to us. So that even though these bodies die, these bodies wear out, this life is full of pain and, and mistakes and problems, we have a resurrection. We have a new life that can be found only in Christ. And not because of what we've accomplished, but what he's done for us. By choosing life for us, and choosing death for himself. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Amen. Please rise.